This is not going to be a pleasant experience. You are going to see and hear things that are not going to be very nice. Experts divide serial killing into two general types: organized and disorganized. An organized killer brings everything he needs to complete the murder. A disorganized killer improvises. Begin. Listener discretion is advised. My brother and sister and I would be enlisted to go out into the paddock and hoe thistles. It was hot, dry, horrible work, and I'd protest by lying in the front seat of the ute with my legs sticking out of the window, singing along with the Bay City Rollers. I love watching American imports like Bewitched and Mash, and I'd fight to stay up past my bedtime so I could absorb their accents and the wholesome stories. By far, my favourite was the Brady Bunch. I resonated so strongly with Marsha and Jan's boy troubles, and since I was tall and lanky and forced to have my hair cut into a boyish crop, I even felt a resemblance to Greg and his gangly awkwardness. It seemed like such an idyllic life. A lovely lady who was busy with three lovely girls, managed to meet a man named Brady who had three boys of his own, The sweetness and ease of the Brady's family life was mirrored in my own. My parents rarely fought, we were middle class and surrounded only by people in our town that were the same. I never saw any hardship, poverty or loss. I was never exposed to any other cultures and we never travelled far from home. I remember when I was eight or nine, I heard about an uncle of mine who was getting divorced. It was a totally new concept to me since nobody in our town had been divorced. I was fascinated by the idea, especially since it was discussed in such secretive and scandalised tones. Just like the sheltered worlds I saw on TV, my imagination could only extend as far as what I was able to see. The Brady Bunch gave me my earliest inkling that divorce did not have to mean the end of happiness. She divorced my father when I was less than a year old, filed for custody, and was granted it by default when he didn't turn up to the custody hearing. Their marriage was short, and he'd appeared to get a new, mean, and violent personality as soon as they were husband and wife. I was born very soon after they married, and it was clear that my mum was much happier about it than he was. The final straw came when she left him alone with me as a baby because she had to go to work, and when I had been crying for longer than he could handle, he swung my bassinet so hard that I fell out before punching a hole in the wall. I'd married him so young and was a mother by the age of 23, so I was in for a rude awakening when all of a sudden I had to take care of myself and my daughter. I decided that I needed a stable job, so I went back to university to become a school teacher. I worked in bars to make ends meet, and I remember taking my daughter with me to lectures 
breastfeeding her in the back row and feeling so grateful that I was able to get an education with such a young child. Before she left him, my dad used to tell her that she was living in a Brady Bunch world. He meant it as an insult, as he'd often find ways to make her question her intelligence. He was telling her that she was too starry-eyed and too naive to be in the real world. On the second day of her trip to Manchester, I spoke to Truman briefly on the phone. I don't remember what we spoke about, but I remember thinking his accent was odd. He joked about being my new stepfather, which made me feel really weird. Perhaps it should have raised concern, but instead it warmed my heart because I loved to see what I imagined was our two worlds coming together. True to my ex-husband's words, I was letting this imaginary Brady Bunch perfect world skew my perception. Chapter 1. The Scam Continued It was the day before New Year's Eve and I'd been in Manchester for three days. Truman had been spinning a story which involved his phone shop, some porn jewellery and a shady-looking business partner. I'd offered to help him with the money he would need to get his jewellery back from the pawn shop so that he could resell it and theoretically make more money selling it that he would then use for the lease on his phone shop. It all just seemed so plausible, and I was well invested in my future imaginings of what our relationship could be. So, on the morning of the third day of my stay in Manchester, we went to withdraw some money from a bank. As fate would have it, there was a withdrawal limit at all the banks we could find, so Truman insisted that we kept going around the city to withdraw the total amount. I'd agreed to give him £3,500 on the understanding that he would pay it back to me as soon as he had the money, or he would return it in a lump sum when he sold the business to move to Hong Kong in three to six months. In the back of my mind, I could hear my dad, who was always incredibly sensible with money, furious at me for this decision. But I silenced him, and focused on the future potential of this new relationship. We had to go to four different banks around the city. I was starting to feel worried that this was not the right thing for me to be doing and was secretly relieved each time I could not get the money. The longer it took for us to access the money, the more time I had to think about the decision I'd made and I started to second guess myself. I was a single mum with a daughter at university and was solely responsible for both of us, and I was not wealthy by any means. I had the money he required, but once I'd given that to him, I wouldn't have had much left in the bank. Deep down, I was really hoping that I wouldn't be able to get it. Truman insisted that we keep trying to find a bank where we could withdraw the money. He would not give up. The more I expressed my reluctance, the more playful and loving he would become. He kept reassuring me that I would soon have the money back and that there was nothing to worry about. I was lulled into a false sense of security and despite my misgivings, I went along with it. It was like being drugged by the romance and promises. I couldn't see the truth of what was going on. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. 
Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Once Truman had the money, we went straight to retrieve the jewellery from the pawn shop. It was gaudy and ostentatious and not my style at all. There was a diamond ring, a cross necklace, and an over-the-top diamond bracelet. A brief echo of doubt ran through my mind. You were wondering whether you wanted to be with a guy who seemed so materialistic? He was already wearing an ugly diamond-studded watch, which he said he would put up for sale after the new year once I had gone. He said that he wanted to enjoy it for a couple of days, and then he could use the money to pay me back. Why would a guy who worked for a multi-million dollar construction company as a project manager and own a phone shop have to pawn his jewellery? That seems crazy to me now. I didn't flinch when he asked me to wait outside while he went into the shop to get the jewellery back. Why didn't he want you to come into the shop with him? Is it because then you'd be able to see the real value of the jewellery and the name it was pawned under? I keep wondering whether the jewellery was actually worthless. I was getting more sceptical it started to be more difficult to push my doubts aside. Chapter 3. Out on the Town The story continues. Once we had the jewellery back, we ran into two of Truman's friends and he bought a large bottle of alcohol. He told me that he had to go and see someone about a phone, so I went back to the hotel and watched TV waiting for him to join me. I waited many hours for him to show up. At 9pm he called to say that he and his friends were in the private lounge on the hotel floor we were on and they were having a party. He announced proudly that he'd paid for dinner for his two mates and this irritated me because I hadn't eaten and his lack of concern for me was obvious. When I arrived they were all chatting and drinking and by the looks of their drinks they'd been there for a while. We'd asked the hotel management about having a gathering in this private lounge on New Year's Eve and had been told it was for residents only. Truman ignored this rule and was happily entertaining his friends and enjoying being the host. I was disappointed that he hadn't called me earlier to join them. A combination of nervousness and rejection gnawed at my insides. Truman was dancing around like a teenager. He was thrilled to have hit the jackpot with the cash that I'd given him. It occurred to me that he was so excited because of the money and now I was being cast aside as he had what he wanted. This made me feel very uneasy. His friends were nice enough, but my feeling deep down was that they seemed a bit dodgy and this only added to my disquiet. 
My intuition got stronger when Truman took off with his mate Travon and left Morris with me. They did a job of helping out his mate for an hour and then they returned with a brand new iPhone. Truman was flashing it around and was giddy with excitement. The waitress came over and asked for our room numbers. I gave mine to her and explained that the other two guys were with us. She said that, just for future reference, the room was for guests only. I said that I understood and was really sorry, and we were leaving soon. Then Truman went off at her, yelling that she was unprofessional for saying that in front of his friends and embarrassing me, and that she should have taken me aside, and that she was out of line. She went red and apologised, and I felt deeply embarrassed and sorry for her. The knot in my stomach grew larger. We left the hotel and all went out on the town in Manchester. Truman and Travon got rid of Morris because they said he didn't have any money and was a hanger-on, which is irony at its best. Another guy, Mo, joined us and we all headed to the bar with a young couple we'd met earlier in the hotel private lounge. Truman was a bit drunk and excited and he flashed me an ID card with the name Sede on it, not Truman. I became even more suspicious. I also saw his birth date. He was 36, not 38, as he'd told me. Is Truman not even his real name? Had he lied about his name, his age, everything? I asked him about it, and he brushed the question off and changed the subject. He quickly stuffed the card back in his pocket, realising that he'd made a mistake in showing it to me. Truman, who had told me that smoking was a deal-breaker for him, asked for a cigarette from a stranger and offered to share it with me. I had not smoked all week since I thought he was so against it, but I succumbed to his pressure and smoked the cigarette with him. Why would he have told you that smoking was a deal-breaker if it wasn't? Makes me wonder what else he lied about. We moved on to another club and I bought all the drinks for everyone. While we were there, Truman gave me all the money to hold on to. He had sold the new iPhone, so that money was in there as well. He also gave me £100 cash, which he owed me from earlier in the week in some sort of magnanimous gesture to show me that he was a man who paid his debts, even though it was all my money anyway. We left the club and caught a taxi. We got in and he asked the driver to take us to a fast food place and the taxi driver questioned where it was. Truman went mad, yelling at him to take him where he'd asked and saying that he'd heard him, so get going. Truman's tone was hostile and condescending. We arrived at the takeaway after a two-minute ride, so it's no wonder the driver second-guessed where he was taking us, because we could have walked there easily. Whilst in the queue, I decided to broach my concerns with him and suggested that he could still get what he wanted by using a different tone when talking to others. He snapped and became very angry, loudly arguing with me that his tone was fine and that the driver deserved it. We sat down to eat our food at the counter and he kept raising his voice at me. Three women eating at the counter in front of us took it upon themselves to offer their own opinions. One woman said we were both right. He felt he was being scammed by the driver and it was his right to be angry, but that I had a point as well. As she stood up to leave, she asked him where we were staying and he named our hotel. She said to me, Ooh, you're lucky getting treated to that posh hotel. 
And I just shook my head because by now I knew that I was paying for the hotel. I made a gesture that made it clear to her that it would be me who was paying. Truman saw this gesture and went off his trolley, storming out of the restaurant and leaving his food behind. The woman looked shocked and said a quick sorry to me as I picked up the food and followed him out the door. Truman was furious that I'd embarrassed him in front of the women. He wanted to leave and demanded that I give him all the money back. I suggested we talk about it and convinced him to get a taxi with me. I was stalling for time to work out a way that I could hang on to my cash. He bellowed at me that he'd decided to go home to his house but I calmly convinced him to stay with me in the hotel, as I was only there for two more nights. Truman agreed and returned to the hotel with me, the money still safely in my handbag. We went up to our room. Truman was still grumpy, but had calmed down considerably. We got into bed, and I tried to start a general conversation to move away from the drama of the evening and to lighten the tension. We started discussing the couple we'd met in the lounge who had come out with us. He said the girl was flirting with him and began saying very explicit things he could have done with her sexually. I could not believe what I was hearing. A decent man would never talk to his partner like that or disrespect another woman by sexualizing her in such a degrading way. It was truly sickening to hear, but I was too exhausted to tackle him on the issue. I saw where confronting him had landed me last time, and I was tired and just wanted to go to sleep and put this awful night behind me. He asked me for the money back and I reluctantly gave it to him as I didn't have any fight left in me. Then he told me he was going for a walk. Instead, he went for a drive. He was drunk and driving the uninsured car rented in my name. I was starting to realise once again that things were not right and maybe I should get out. My mind was racing and I was feeling increasingly anxious and sick to my stomach. He came back an hour later and claimed that while he was driving around he was thinking about our future. He reassured me and then he fell into a deep drunken slumber. Roger A. Grimes is an internet security expert and journalist who has developed a special interest in the world of online dating scams. Roger Grimes has some insight on this topic that proved to be useful. Parts that are really, really common, of course, are the, the, the request for money, right? There's smaller requests followed by a bigger request. The request not only for money, but, hey, if you give me money, I can get access to more money. That is... Absolutely. You know, that's in almost 100 percent of the cases of I'm rich. I have all this money. I'm working. But for some reason, I can't access my funds. But if you send me some thousands of dollars, I can access these funds and we will live happily ever after. That is incredibly common. It's incredibly common for them usually to claim that they're going to meet up with a person and then not get there. I mean, that that happens in almost every case. Very common, they'll say, if you send me two or $3,000, I will meet you in Dallas. Uh, I've had many, many people email me and tell me that they went to go meet this loved one in whatever location. And almost without a doubt, it, the person is not there. Now, you know, Well, and they can't be because it's really a teenage Nigerian, right? It's not the person that they've been sold the bill of goods for. They say they ran into uh, visa troubles or something. 
the scammers are very used to this ruse. And usually it is just to hit them up for more money. Hey, I was getting ready to leave Russia. I was getting ready to leave whatever. There are some visa problems or they took my money or they took my car and I needed some more money. They're going to milk that person. If you don't have money, can you take out a mortgage on your house? If you don't have a house and a mortgage, do you have any art? I mean, these people have literally been robbed of everything. Maybe it's really important to point out it has nothing to do with intelligence. You know, a lot of people are like, how could these people be so stupid? Uh, the people that have been duped many times are multimillionaires many times over. There are many times successful business owners that have lived an exemplary life, you know, of being smart, of being cautious, being conservative. They just get caught during a vulnerable time in their lives where they're obviously missing something and alone. And these, you know, scammers are able to come in and do that. The part that is distinctly different about what happened with your mother is that the person actually met her and I assume looked like they said they were going to look. That's really rare. I've only heard of it once, maybe twice before. In most cases, uh, I, I have had uh, probably, you know, a smaller percentage, 5%, where the, where the person's going to go meet them in the country where they claim to be. And when they show up, that person is not there. I've even had some people get investigators, find out who the real person is where they really live, and they claim they're going to go confront them in Nigeria or, or Lagos or wherever you know it happens to be. And uh, I tell them, do not do that. You cannot show up at a foreign country to meet a, a scammer and confront them and think, number one, you're getting your money back, but number two, you're likely to be harmed. The FBI actually contacted me once to make sure that I told victims that contacted me, do not go and confront them because they actually had on record people that had shown up in those countries, confronted those people and been and been killed. So it's, you know, what your mother did was super risky and just an amazing story that she actually met the person and that they, they were, they, you know, they look like what they said they look like and that the relationship continued. That is, that's an incredible story and worthy of the book. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Renee has been divorced for 14 years and has not really used online dating sites much. She met a man online who she found very attractive and they started to communicate. He had a bit of a French accent and he said he was raised in Israel and could speak Hebrew. So I got on a Christian dating site 
most fellas I wouldn't even really want to talk to. But this one person sent me just a wink. I thought, well, my, finally, somebody I'd actually want to know. So I thought, well, no harm in responding. So I did. And then I said, thanks for noticing me. I'm not sure why you'd be interested in me. You're in Australia and I'm here. He explained that he's been in Sydney for about eight years. He was transferred there. Is going to retire in the near future, but he's going to be called back to Dallas in a few months. And that after that, when he finishes that job, he's going to be retiring from it and he's free to do as he pleases, move where he wants to move. And that's why he noticed me and decided he wanted to contact me. And so he says, You're pretty much the only person I really sent a message to and I'm too busy I don't have time I thought well seems like there's potential here I mean if he's serious we were texting quite a bit and I said well why don't you just call me and so we started talking a lot I mean like every day after about a month and a half I was having some very strong feelings for him and he seemed very respectful he was gentle and fun and funny. And of course, he sent me like 25 different pictures. I had developed some very, very strong feelings for him. And he hadn't pressured me to ask me if I loved him or anything like that. But he did ask if I was having strong feelings. And I finally said, yes, I really do. I, I really like you a lot. He says, do you think you love me? And I said, well, Honestly, I feel like I am falling in love with you. And he says, oh, I'm so glad to hear that because that's how I'm feeling. Because he wasn't pressuring me, but he was asking. I don't want to keep waiting for months and months. You know, he didn't know when he was going to get called back to Dallas. He said it was going to be soon, but he didn't know exactly when. So I said, look, I know I, I was taking a chance. We decided I was going to go visit him. So I'm getting ready to go. He called me and he'd been telling me he was a programmer and a project manager and he's creating new a new program for his, his job. And he says, honey, I'm having a terrible time with purchasing this program that I need to get because they won't accept my Australian money. I don't know if you'd be willing to help me out. And I said, well, I don't know. Let me think about it. So the next day, he says, well, could you possibly send me an Amazon gift card for $200? And I thought, it was kind of like, well, I don't I'd normally do this, but so far I really trusted him. He says, look, I'll pay you back plus interest. So I went ahead and did that. I was supposed to leave for Australia couple days before I was supposed to leave, he called me and he said, I'm so sorry they called me to go to Dallas. I tried to get more time, but they said, no, we need you now. And he says, I'm so sorry. I know you really wanted to come here. And I said, well, actually, that's, that's okay. Australia's not going anywhere and Dallas is even better. It's a lot closer. <laughs> called me like two days later after he was supposed to be there and let me know that he was there. And he's still using an Australian number. 
And so the connection was not great. Found, you know, he got himself a Texas number. We're talking uh, almost every day, texting every day. I said, well, can I come and see you now, at least for a few days? He goes, I'm so busy because after uh, I'm project manager uh, building these cell towers, helping build these cell towers, I have to come home and do a lot of reports, he says. So afterward, I, I won't have a lot of time, but you now I'll have some time. I said, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't need to be entertained. So we're planning me to go there and we're on the internet together we're on the phone together going through the flights and the times and when I'd arrive so that it was a good time for him to come get me and all of that and we're kind of disconnected but he was in the process he, he'd already said he clicked on to pay for it I packed all my stuff I'm getting ready to go and I was pretty excited you know, it's like been two months since I had actually started talking to him and we're getting to know him. And so I'm uh, ready to go that night and I hadn't heard from him. I said, I need the confirmation number. And I said, please text it to me or something. And I didn't hear from him. I'm pretty frustrated. I said, well, I know he's really busy, but this is kind of important. Maybe he just figures I'll look it up and find out, you know, what it is and all that. And I tried, but um, I tried to call the airlines, but nobody ever talks to you. So I, I couldn't talk to anybody. I decided, well, I'm just going to go. I was pretty frustrated, but I thought just trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. And sure enough, all the different times that we had talked about, even though it was, I knew which one we had decided on, he told me he had been having trouble, you know, with his bank account. So I thought, well, maybe it didn't go through. And he just didn't bother telling me because it didn't go through and he didn't contact me to tell me. And I, I wasn't happy about that. But anyway, sure enough, there's, there was no ticket waiting for me on any of the times that we had talked about. So I was very upset, to say the least. I'm bewildered, I'm frustrated, I'm confused, I'm hurt, everything, angry, all of it. After letting her down with the flight, her scammer sweet-talked her into forgiving him, and they continued to communicate. Renee was starting to question things in more depth. He kept making excuses for not being able to video chat with her, and he continued with the love bombing. He manipulated her at every turn, but she started to realize that she may not be talking to the person in the photos. Renee began to research scammers, but continued to give him the benefit of the doubt. They're still in contact, and she's still coming to terms with the fact that the man she fell in love with has been lying to her. In the next episode, the cracks start to get too big to ignore. Truman is manipulating her and gaslighting her so intensely that she even does it to herself. Make sure you listen to the next episode of Fool Me Twice. Get out now. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.